Treble dread make the ocean caves our bed. God who hissed the surges roll, deign to save the suppliant soul. Welcome to We All Pod Down Here. I'm Dan. And I'm Brittany. And if you didn't get it from the opening quote, today we are going to talk about The Lighthouse from 2019. So just a quick overview of the movie. A lot of people consider this a horror. Some say it's a psychological thriller. We feel it's pretty much a little of both. It leaves you wondering what's real, what isn't. The blurs between reality and not are, are hard to pick up. Yeah. You know, I, especially as it progresses. It's very unsettling. It's filmed in black and white. It's done at a 1.19 to 1 ratio. Uh, Robert Eggers directed and produced this, and he co-wrote the script with his brother, Max Eggers. Um, so Max had originally, from what I've read, wanted to make this film more of like a modern take on the Edgar Allan Poe's um, work that was often called The Lighthouse, but I don't know if it was ever officially titled that, and it's, I've read it, it's bare, it's like a, a page or two. Like there's it's his like, last written work, right? It is his last written work. It's never been finished. Um, no one knows where he was going with it. it like, it's barely started if you read it. Um, but basically it's supposed to be like the journal entries from a man that's posted a lighthouse and it's supposed to be just him and his dog, which realistically that would never happen. You, you know, originally it was all, they used to do it as two and then it became three people. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later cause we had like t- ties into this. So basically in the Edgar Allan Poe story, he thinks he's hearing things in the walls. He's unsure, um, how stable this actual like structure he is in is. Um, and it refers to the base of the structure as like chalk and that's pretty much where it ends. Like that's all we know. Um, so for anyone that's read this, obviously you're going to quickly realize there's pretty much no resemblance to this movie, but and, apparently and title only really, yeah, that's pretty much what I think what he wanted to go with was this was meant to be like a, like a lot of Edgar Allan Poe stuff. Not sure what's real, the unreliable narrator, but basically, you know, with that said, there's some Poe um, homages that are paid in this, um, such as the idea of being buried alive, alcoholism, insanity, and then of course there's a lot of parallels to Prometheus and as well as psychological themes, and again, we'll get into those in more detail as this progresses. But as always, spoiler warnings out the wazoo. With most of our shows, you're going to find that we're going to discuss it in detail. Occasionally I think we can do like I want to do some new movies and like maybe do a spoiler-free review of some of them, but again, yeah. this one came out in 2019. It's on Amazon Prime. If you don't want it spoiled, go watch it first. For sure. So references, we used uh, denofgeek.com. There was some really good info there. Uh, cast and crew. So as we mentioned earlier, director is Robert Eggers, who is also known for The Witch from 2015 and has an upcoming movie called The Northman, which is due to be coming out next year, 2022. Which sounds very interesting. Yes, it's supposed to be about um, like Vikings and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds really like a kind of like a revenge story. It looks really cool. Awesome. So of course, written by Robert and Max Eggers brothers. Um, the cast is very small in this. Uh, we have Robert Pattinson as Thomas Howard slash Ephraim Winslow. You kind of You're figure that out that. as we go along. Um, of course, Robert was in Harry Potter, Cedric Diggory. And, unfortunately, the Twilight Saga as Edward Cullen, and in Tenet as Neil. Now, to be fair, he did a very good job with what he was given. Oh, he was given crap. I mean, if you 
put glitter on crap, it's still a big it's keeping tr- festering turd. But again, I just want to give him his due credit that he was a, he's a very good actor. Oh, I, don't want to, I don't want to take any negative Absolutely wonderful him. actor. Twilight is shit. And we've lost half the listeners. Not really. Oh, well. <laughs> um, we also have, of course, Willem Dafoe, who plays Thomas Wake. Willem Dafoe has an illustrious career. Just a couple of things. Uh, some of the bigger stuff he was in. Uh, Platoon is Sergeant Elias Gordon. Flight of the Intruder is Lieutenant Commander Virgil Tiger Cole. The English Patient, which I agree with Elaine. I hate it! <laughs> I had to. You, you had to. This we, is going to be like it, a Seinfeld reference in every I know. episode, really. Um, the Boondock Saints, absolute classic. Spider-Man 1 through 3 is Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin. It's the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Mr. Bean's Holiday, which I almost forgot he was in, but... And uh, Finding Nemo and Finding Dory is Gil. Um, also, Antichrist. Which I have seen and you have not. Indeed. And you should. We should watch it at some point, but just kind of like, buckle up. Yeah. And um, last and definitely least, uh, the Netflix version of Death Note is Ryuk. Now, his performance was one of the only positives of that movie. He played Ryuk perfectly. Just the script was terrible and everything else was terrible. Yeah, that, that movie can die. Mm-hmm. Write it in the note. Ha! Uh, we also have Valeria Caravan, who is the mermaid. She was in uh, Gregor. That, that's pretty much her only other credit. And we have Logan Hawks as the real Ephraim Winslow. And no other credits for, for Mr. Hawks. At least that we could find. So, we start out in the 19... Is this supposed to be the, excuse me, the 1890s in New England... Um, we're going through a lighthouse changeout. There's a foghorn. There's a creepy foghorn. The lighthouse itself is creepy, and apparently, this lighthouse itself that we see was actually built just for like this. Like this wasn't even a real lighthouse. They just built it for the movie. And apparently, the locals wanted them to leave it up, but apparently, it had been built out of like wood and a lot of stuff that would have been like deteriorated very quickly, and they felt it was just way too dangerous, so it was taken down after the movie. Yeah, you think if they had any kind of like strong storm or something like that, that wouldn't have been good. Yeah. It's also a very, very isolated place, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, Ephraim Winslow, who's of course Robert Pattinson, he gets a contract gig as a lighthouse keeper, also known as a wiki. For about a month on this very isolated island. I mean, this place is in the middle of nowhere. nowhere, which is, you know, where the creepiness usually starts, middle of nowhere. So Ephraim is supervised by the island's keeper, Thomas Wake, played by, of course, Willem Dafoe. And to start the movie early, I mean, you know, Ephraim's bringing his stuff in. He finds a small carving of a mermaid. It's located in a small hole in his bedding. So he looks at it and throws it in his jacket pocket, and it serves as a very important symbol throughout the movie. And also, I want to point out that the very beginning, probably the first thing we see when he's walking in there is Willem Dafoe farting. Like, that's like... That's a theme. This whole movie is them far- him farting, I swear. There's a lot... It's a very flatulent movie. Yes. But yeah, so they go they go to have dinner, and they have a bunch of, like, potatoes and stuff like that, um, and... I remember as soon as they sit down, dan- uh, well, dim candlelight. Very I know, atmospheric. Yes, yeah, so I remember while we're watching it, I even wrote it down in, like my notebook that you looked at, it and you're like, "Huh, well, that's romantic." <laughs> yeah, but nothing they, more no, nothing more romantic than being on a on an isolated island with, you know, take, taking care of a lighthouse when uh, Willem Dafoe keeps uh, dropping uh, crop dust. Yep. 
So then uh, Willem Dafoe does that toast that Dan so perfectly read at the beginning. I'm going to attempt it, but again, no promises here. So, should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed, God who hissed the surges roll, dying to save the suppliant soul to four weeks. So they're <laughs> going to be here for four weeks. Yep. And Ephraim basically is, he's by the book, he doesn't want to drink. Um, Thomas, again, Willem Dafoe, wants him to drink. And also he tells him he cannot tend the lighthouse, and he's just generally being weird. It's really strange, right? Because he's, like, he's, he's like a possessive kind of thing over the light. Yeah, and his weirdness reminds me a bit of an- the Antichrist. And again, I know you didn't see Antichrist, but within Antichrist, it just, it's got a weird vibe the entire time. So this immediately like made me think of that. I have a theory why he doesn't want him to go into the light, though. He doesn't want him sparkling. Well, we don't want sparkly vampires. No, we don't. So Rob's, Rob can't sparkle in this movie. That's why he's Plus not they don't have him. a baseball diamond in here. No. <laughs> so, of course, Thomas Wake is just a very demanding and just a slovenly prick. This guy is just awful. And he makes Ephraim do all of the difficult jobs where it also seems like he's doing a whole lot of nothing. He gets a power trip out of this like he it feels like he, he needs to be in control you know some things he makes Ephraim do like carrying really heavy kerosene containers all the way up the steps of the lighthouse and then he tells him oh no no there you can't carry the big ones up here you carry them all the way back down and do the small ones makes him paint the lighthouse in this very precarious pulley looking contraption that I would personally want nothing to do with ever. the moment we saw that scene I was like nope yeah, it's I like, don't you like know, I don't like heights and that, and, that thing. And, 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 it, and, it and have this crazy guy, the wake, be in control of it. This guy already seems very imbalanced from the very get go. And it breaks, and he falls. Yep, yep. And the absolute worst, and we're we're gonna go get more into the gross stuff. Uh, the worst is the changing of the chamber pots. Now wake keeps harping on Ephraim to do his duties, but there's a lot of duties in this movie. <laughs> All, a, a, Wake is just a flatulence machine that never runs out of gas. And also, I watch this, I'm like, this feels like Ephraim is doing, like, pledge duties for, like, a frat house. It, yeah, like the ex- lighthouse except frat if house. the frat house is just, like, one isolated crazy guy making him do a lot of weird shit. Yeah, it just made it feel like that, like, you know, like, making him do dumb things that are pointless. It's like if Animal House was really fucked up and not funny at all. Yeah. Wake, again, is strictly forbidding Ephraim from entering the room, like, the like, the lantern room. We try to figure out, like, what the hell is he hiding there? Mm-hmm. Is it more chamber pots? His mermaid porn collection, possibly? Perhaps, yes. So we're going to get into the more, the mermaid porn situation in a little bit. But basically, Ephraim sees nightly that Wake goes into the lantern room. He... Appears to be losing all his clothes, and well, it, it's like it's like he's got he's playing night crawlers with with Frank Reynolds or something, and he has some intimate feelings with the light. He has this like like auto erotic connection with this light. Yeah, but basically, this is where you know, Ephraim starts hallucinating. He hears that there are like sea monsters out there, and this is where this is when kind of we start to question like what's illusion what's reality like he's going into the water it seems like he's pulled under but then he's fine and this you know again this is going to continue throughout the whole film this is movie's real twisty turny timey wimey <laughs> stuff stuff yeah it's it, it's really get the blurring the lines of reality is really we're past introductions and there's tons of seagulls flying around 
And this is a really important symbolism in this movie. So this, at one point, some of them almost seemed like they were floating. It's Which, legitimately, that's how seagulls sure. sometimes look, but it reminded us of Birdemic. Immediately Birdemic. And mind you, it's, it's certainly not that awfulness, like the gleeful awfulness of, that Birdemic is, but it made me think of that, that wonderfully awful, quote-unquote, movie. And there's one seagull in particular... A one-eyed seagull is that, is that another metaphor for the for the ganking off? I don't know. Um, continue it is, continues to pester Ephraim, just constantly pestering him. This one-eyed seagull. It's like the three-eyed raven, but not nearly as deep. <laughs> so back to the one-eyed bird. It keeps bugging Ephraim, and Wake notices him. You know, kind of messing with this this gull, and. He, he calls it out. And he says, I see you sparring with a gull. Best leave him be. Bad luck to kill a seabird. Which Ephraim replies, Oh, more tall tales. And Wake doesn't like that at all. Like, he's, he's not taking him seriously. Wake starts getting pissed. And Wake believes that seabirds have a special representation. His quote is, And them's the souls of sailors what met their maker. So... Also, I just want to say that I'm just like, birds have sailor souls. How unfortunate for them. I think that's why I said while we were watching it. I was like, huh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> though it fits with the line from Wake when he's getting on Ephraim's case about the chores, though. So, and then he's, this is one of the times he just, just goes off. On, I want to hear you do the voice for this. Yeah, he, he just goes crazy. So, like, and there's a lot of moments where Wake just loses it. And just, just harping on, on Ephraim. Yes. And if I tells ye to yank out every single nail from every molder and nail hole and suck off every speck of rust till all them nails sparkle like a sperm whale's pecker and the carpenter the whole light station back together from scrap and then do it all ever again, you'll do it! He's just... Good job. And he's, he's like... He's so all about being the boss he has to be the guy in charge you know i wonder you wonder if it's like is it like an inadequacy kind of thing like he has to lord himself over this guy or he could just be nuts yeah that too see i that too i sit in there being all immature though watching this and as soon as he has sperm whale effect i'm like it's like a moby dick reference you know sperm whale dick haha oh boy (laughs) after him ranting though at um and Ephraim, I'm just like, I looked at Tom and I, Tom, you know, being Wilma Phone, just like, okay, boomer. <laughs> it really is. Cause there's also, you know, we'll talk a little bit later, but it's like, you know, he, he's the veteran, he's the older guy, and, and Ephraim's the younger, young pup kind of thing. The dog, shall you say? Indeed, indeed. But yeah, so everything obviously keeps getting stranger. Again, we're questioning reality. What's reality? What's fantasy? You know. There's a lot more interesting dialogue that occurs between the two um, while they're dining at the end of the day. There's arguments, there's distrust. The isolation is obviously getting to Ephraim especially, which is funny because later he kind of talks about how he kind of felt seemed like the one that wanted to be isolated, but now it seems like it's really messing with him. So uh, careful what you wish for, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of their, their dinner conversation, it, it shows a lot about their personalities and a lot of their character flaws are really put out, laid out to bear in those scenes. They're very interesting. Yeah. 
But during one of their like little fine dining escapades, um, <laughs> Wake tells Ephraim that the last Wiki died after going insane, which I'm like, all right. Well, if you had to clean out his chamber pots all the time and listen to all the farts, I, I think I'd go insane too. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, well, that that kind of explains things. But yeah, so Ephraim says, you know, that he explains he was a former timberman in Maine and he just wanted to do something new. So they're just kind of talking about their past a bit. And that's a difficult gig, like back in this time. 1890s, you know. Either like, one of them are difficult yeah, gigs. But, but it's, like, it's also, you know, it's not like he's coming from, like, an office job to this. You know, he's he was in a very isolated environment there, too. So I, what, what, I wonder what's the motivation here. Ephraim keeps seeing Wake's really strange humping of the lantern routine. It's, it's getting really weird. Like, this flick is weird. And a, a few seconds later... Almost gets an unintentional facial through the grated floor slash ceiling above him, or was it intentional? You know, Wake is all, all all about the power and you know being the alpha here. So I don't think was he, it intentional. Or I don't I, think he knew he was there. But yeah. what's weird is you see what looks like a tentacle like wobbling around the floor. Yeah, this and, again with like the blurs of reality. Yeah, so are, we don't know because uh, yeah, he snuck up there and like real quietly. So again, maybe he knew he was there and he's just like yeah, good you're gonna get a come shot to the face but maybe he's hiding tentacles in that beard of his yeah no and when i first when we first saw this i watched this and i was i see this tentacle i'm like is that something he's banging or is that supposed to be his dick like <laughs> we don't know but i just want to throw it out here that i have never seen a horror movie with so many body fluids that are not blood and this one can take the award for that yeah, I would say so. And it's just like the gross out stuff, really. And, you know, at this point, the movie is really still, it's getting its footing. It's obviously becoming a bit unsettling. However, there's almost too much gross out dark humor going on. I mean, I like juvenile toilet humor, like every 12-year-old brain person. But it borders on satire sometimes, I think. It's one of the weaker parts of the movie for me. Like, every time I hear a foghorn, I think it's another fart from Willem Dafoe's ass. Every time. <laughs> the, the, the almost facial part was a bit much, and I, I don't think it added a lot. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of very strange sir cum stances. <laughs> yeah, get it? <laughs> so, things keep getting weird. Ephraim turns the water on and just globs of blood start shooting out of it. Which, of course, this isn't black and white, so initially we're, like, thinking, is this mud? What is this? Right. It, it ends up, he finds a dead gull inside the cistern, which, of course, the cistern collects rainwater so they can use it, which is obviously, that's the culprit. So, again, bird symbolism. You know, he's messing with the bird, and then bad things are happening. Yeah, and so not long after then this, of course, the one-eyed bird um, makes its final appearance. Why final? Because Ephraim grabs it and smashes it over and over like somebody beating a rug to get the dust out. It's a very unsettling scene. I remember you and I watched it. We were just like, ah, no, 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 no. Nothing left of the imagination. Yeah. That scene stuck with me yeah. quite a bit. Like it's, It was it, not pleasant. It, it's one of the mo most disturbing scenes of the movie. So, of course, we have to ruin it and make it lighthearted. Of course, because when, when we watch movies, we just, we'll just do stupid commentary. So... I immediately think, like, I hope he didn't eat the bird like Frank Reynolds ate the crow. I ate the gall! It's tearing me up inside! Yeah, and while he, but while he's beating it, I'm just like, dude, it's dead. And then you say... It ceases to be. 
So that was pretty much our commentary. But yeah, this whole thing, like, I was like, more and more, I was like, this is like Birdemic. Birdemic and Monty Python, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, all yeah, rolled in the one. All rolled in the one. But this is brutal. Like, if you're squeamish, this is the part you kind of might want to yeah, take a glance at your phone or something. Yeah, if you and love look animals, up something, this is... <laughs> look up something happy, like a clip from a Disney movie or something. Just and not it, the beginning of the Disney movies, because no, no, the parents dies. have to die, you know? Yeah, you want to get to one of the songs, like the fun songs. Yeah, don't, go, watch, go don't, watch, watch, don't watch the first few minutes up. No, just go watch Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast or something. It's That's a good, fun song, even though that movie is about... Stockholm Syndrome. But anyways. I digress. <laughs> and while they're drinking, they're just like talking about their escapades with women. And I'm just like, men are gross with their stories of banging women. This is like, it's not surprising. Like, it's very accurate as to what I feel these two men would be doing in this time frame. But yeah, yeah so Ephraim, you know, he's changing out the chamber pots. And obviously this is not a pretty sight. And when we're watching this scene, I keep hoping, every time there's a chamber pot... I keep hoping desperately that Ephraim won't spill them. And right here, he did. Right in the kisser. Yeah, and I literally, like, while he's walking out there, I can feel, I'm like, I'm like, Rob, no, don't spill the chamber pots. And then, of course, they fly right back in his face, which, fun fact, that poop in the face scene, inspired by the Big Lebowski. Oh, I love that movie so much. I figured you would Shut enjoy that. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> so or should it be Tommy in this Yeah, case? Yeah, it should be Tommy in this one. But during one of these chores he's doing he sees a body on the shore so it ends up being a mermaid um that just starts screaming Mm -hmm. um and again we're not sure what's reality what isn't um the dead this quote-unquote dead body that ends up being a mermaid i'm all watching i'm like oh dead body then like oh nope not dead just gonna touch the boob there because that's (laughs) what he does yep and then of course then the mermaid screams and he's scared and i'm like as you should be you misogynistic cunt yeah, you see, you see it laying there. It's like, what, what do you got to do? You, you just got to touch it inappropriately. Yeah, so, but Wonderful. fun fact, because it basically has a little, like, fish badge. Oh, it's so... It's, it's weird. It's the thing is, like, you're weird. like, you're like, why would you do that? And apparently what they did was they studied, like, the vaginas of sharks to make that out of, like, silicone or whatever they used. So, fun facts. Indeed. So, once he gets back to the house... Wake states that the storm has spoiled all of their food, all the reserves are gone, and they won't get any more food for weeks. So they are so they up res- a creek without a paddle. Yeah, up 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 um, Willem Dafoe's ass shit creek. But it's like it's like a geyser at this point. They're supposed to have been here for four weeks. They apparently through this time we've realized though because they're they're talking about this and we realize they don't know each other's names. They've mm-hmm. literally for four weeks supposedly been Sir and Lad because the tender is supposed to become at this point. Tender doesn't come because of the storm. Again, that's when we find out about all the food being gone. Um, as soon as he's like the tender ain't coming, I was like, yeah, the tender ain't coming, but I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, don't want to shed any light on that. Nope. So. They're, they're obviously, at this point, it seems like they're losing this. At this point, I was like, I'm really confused. I don't know which one of them's losing it. Are they both losing it? Because Thomas Wake, you know, Willem Dafoe's character is sitting there saying, talking about, like, that they've only been here for, like, a day. But then it seems like it's weeks. And it's like, yeah. you're the, just like, again. Reality, time, everything's a blur at this point. These guys are in trouble. And these, these two fine scallywags find a crate of gin. Yep, more booze. And doesn't so, he dig it up? Like they dig, they they start digging it up. Like uh, so, he knew where this was. Yeah, so they knew there was something there, but it just ended up being a whole lot of gin because 
just what these two guys need this side of scurvy. Yeah. It's like they and when they drink, they drink. Yeah. Like there's some scenes when they're drinking, just like both of them is like holding the bottles totally vertical and just all of it just they're getting more pouring down over their face that's actually getting in their mouths. Like they have lost it. Yeah. They're drinking. Um, they end up going upstairs and this is where they're kind of like doing like a bit of a back and forth, having a chat. Um, at some point, I forget exactly how, um, we've basically, Ephraim says he doesn't like Tom's cooking and Thomas can't handle this and he loses it. He goes on this like rant and like basically curses him over this cooking. Red Lobster this isn't. Yeah. Where so, the hell are the Cheddar Bay Biscuits? Yeah, that's pretty much what he should be like. Like, He's like, no, you like my lobster. And after he goes on this tirade, like, how part of it, I remember you wrote part of it down for how he says it. And a lot of this goes into what we'll go into a little deeper later um, with some, some kind of philosophical and mythological connections. But he, sa- he says, hark, Triton, hark. Below bid our father the sea king rise from the depths full foul in his fury. Like he is just, like you said, full on cursing this man because he don't like his lobster. Yeah, so he's like, he's like, no, but you have to like my lobster. And the thing is, apparently that was done in one take. Willem Dafoe like did that like in one take and didn't like blink the entire time. It's so it's like pretty again. Acting yeah. for Willem Dafoe, of course, is always top. Oh, that, that's one notch. of his best scenes, I think. And, like, well, you can see him like just—he—he just looks visibly per- so perturbed. Yeah, and like with this scene and a couple others, I just keep waiting for him to like start making the USS Indianapolis speech from um, <laughs> from Jaws, like Quint's speech. Like I'm just like waiting for that. It just feels like that's what's gonna happen next when he's like the way he's talking. This this seeker rant, all I could think of was like this is 1800s Gordon Ramsay. And while we're watching the scene, I'm just like, (laughs) go home, you're both drunk. Oh, that's great. Oh, I put in my notes, apparently it was, yeah, that was done in one take, and Willem Dafoe didn't blink for two minutes, so. Yeah, that's right. You look at his eyes, they just don't move. Yeah, so we need him in the event that there's weeping angels. That's what I've learned from this. For sure. The doctor could use him in that scenario. Yes. But yeah, so like, at the end end of this, like, whole curse, finally, like, you know, Ephraim looks like he's fine, have it your way. I like your cooking. So, like, now it's like, yeah, like, after this whole long rant, and he's just like, alright, whatever. So, Ephraim, you know, it's the next day, he goes upstairs, he's trying to pick the lock to get into where the logbook is kept, so Thomas has this logbook, and he wants to know what he's been writing about him, probably. So, he can't, he can't get in there, he goes upstairs, where Thomas is sleeping, and finds it on his chest. Logbook. So he tries to grab the logbook, but then he looks and sees the keys and realizes the keys are to not only like his little like lock desk thing where normally it is, but also of course to the light. But then he like thing like he starts to grab the keys and then he stops and he's like, oh wait, I could stab him. And he thinks about killing him. And I'm watching this. I'm just like, for fuck's sake, Ephraim, make up your mind. And of course, at this point, you know Thomas's Willem Dafoe, Thomas's character wakes up. So. I want so bad, this whole movie, I wanted so bad for her, them to get into that book, and it's just to be written, like, nonstop, all work and no play makes Tommy a dull boy. <laughs> that would have been really, really I would have loved that so much. And th- then it just starts getting weird. And I don't know if, you know, this is kind of like the show, like, the signs of isolation really kicking in, because it's just these two guys on an island. Ephraim just, just jerks off to the mermaid carving like there's no tomorrow. 
Is there a tomorrow? I we don't know yet, but it's very blatant. Still, but still, the carving probably had you know a little more more movement there than Bella. So <laughs> I can understand you know the carving being a little more of a of a thing. And everything continues to get worse from here. Shocking. So, yep. Hallucinations, including a lobster trap with a one-eyed head in it. Likely the head of the previous wiki, I'd say. And when I, w- like we, when I was watching this, I didn't put two and two together. But then I realized, like, while we were, like, kind of, like, looking back over things, I was like, oh, my God. Fuck. That seagull was supposed to be the reincarnation of that wiki, wasn't it? It very well could have been. That's a really good observation. I didn't even think about that until we were like kind of talking about it. And I was like, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> Wake and Ephraim are more seeming descending into madness. They're drinking like sailors, of course. <laughs> and the storm keeps annihilating the island. The song they sing, Doodle Let Me Go, it's a kind of like a shanty song that they, that they start singing. And they're they're dancing, they're slow dancing. At one point, I thought they were gonna kiss, um, but then they fight, and then they're fine. They're yeah, fine. it's like sometimes it feels like it's like erotic, and then they're at each other's throats. You know, just the descent and the madness continues, one rancid gin fart at a time. Laying down, and this is where Ephraim starts to tell him about the fact that his name is actually Thomas Howard. During the scene, I'm sitting there and I'm like, who the fuck is watching the light? Because this is like nighttime and I thought someone <laughs> Absolutely just... nobody. So whoever, the, the light goddess or whatever ain't getting banged by Defoe nope. tonight. Nope, nope. So th- this is, like you said, this is a really important scene where Ephraim reveals he isn't Ephraim. His name is actually Thomas Howard. You know, it should have been Jerry. I think. And then we could have had some cat and mouse jokes, Tom and Jerry. See, when you first mentioned that, though, and you said it should have been Jerry, my first thought was we were going into another Seinfeld joke. <laughs> nope, nope. Going back to old cartoons. Basically, he... You assume he the identity yeah. of a real man named Ephraim Winslow, who ends up was his foreman when he was a lumberman back in Maine, who died in an accident where the fake Ephraim slash Thomas didn't try to stop him on purpose. Yeah, That's just, pretty sinister. Yeah, he just let him die. He was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Just let him die. But yeah, and, uh, and when we first watched this, the, when I paused it at one point, you know, Amazon Prime does a little like thing at the bottom, a little x-ray thing telling you the characters' names. And I see it says his name is Thomas Howard, but the subtitles kept saying Ephraim. So I'm like, okay, something is up because it says his name's Thomas Howard, but the subtitles say Ephraim, so that really threw me through a loop and probably didn't help the unsettlingness of this movie the whole time I watched it. No, not at all. And, again, things get turned up another notch. This this really sets everything off even more. And it it feels like a hallucination here, where you hear Wake early saying with a bit of an echo, why'd you spill your beans, Tommy? Why'd you spill your beans? Over and over. And the camera's dramatically zooming up through the center of the lighthouse to the lantern room. Ending with... We're going to just have to call him Ephraim instead of Ephraim slash Howard. Because I'm going to get... Yeah. Um, We can't have two Thomases. It's just that's wrong. So Howie's up there encountering a nude Wake, Thomas Wake, with his eyes glowing like the lantern, staring deeply in the Howard's eyes. So this is a now reference the, to something, am I right? Yeah, so the, the crazy part about this is, like, when he first gets up there somehow, and it seems almost like this is probably a dream, because it's like he look, finds like what looks almost like a body sitting there, he rolls it over, it's actually himself, So and then he turns around, and there's Wake standing, you know, completely nude, um, and he has, like, what he looks almost like as if he's the lighthouse. His eyes are shining directly onto, onto Ephraim. 
So this is, from what I looked up, it's almost like a one-to-one -one reference of a painting that was titled Hypnosis by Sasha Schneider. It's a really cool painting, so if you get a chance, look it up. And then Wake just goes nuts. He, he or more nuts. Yeah, yes. Well, because yeah. Ephraim's yeah. trying to decide he's gonna, he's done, he's piecing out. He's, yeah, he's over this shit. He's getting all, he's getting the, the little, like, boat dory thing. Mm -hmm. But don't worry. And Wake just obliterates that only boat slash dory with an axe. Just and then later. Just it to pieces. But then later he claims Howard destroyed it while he was chasing after Howard him. Howard slash Ephraim. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so like, again, who destroyed it? What the hell is going on? Like, so, it, it is total trippy at this point. Yeah, so at this point, you'd think, like, okay, you know, we gotta get a plan, then what's come for weeks, that what the hell's going on? But what's their next course of action? What is the best option at this point? Well, they're out of booze. And, of course, you know, that's just... It can't be that can't tolerated. Take place. It, can't, it can't take place. So, what are they gonna drink from now on? Are they gonna move on to drinking their own pee, like Bear Gryllis, something like that? No. They find a big old bottle of turpentine, of course, and they start chugging that thing. And, but they but add they a little honey. bit of honey. Yeah, just <laughs> just to make, make the, the Bernie stuff go down a little smoother. Delish. Blah. Bland. Yeah, every time we saw them starting to drink, I was like, ah! Like you're drinking turpentine? Yeah, you've really I gone off the deep end of your drinking, drinking turpentine, mother of God. And this storm just keeps getting worse. Like, through all this, the storm has not let up. And I watched this as every time the storm got worse, I was like, the Steve was angry that day, my friends. Like an old man trying to return soup in a deli. <laughs> and Ephraim finds Wake's logbook the next day. Sadly, it does not say well, what I wanted it to say. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get my shining reference. No, no. But uh, Wake has taken many a shiny shit, I'm sure. Yeah. And... He gets into this logbook, and he has some not so great things to say about him, and a lot of things, like a lot of terrible things, like especially like the, the part that really sets him off is recommending Ephraim just be fired without pay. He's awful. He, do, he doesn't listen. Insubordinate. But, Claims he hasn't been doing any work and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And I would say, you'd have to pay me a lot of shillings to deal with Wake's poo on a daily basis. Just, yeah, gross. Yeah. And so Ephraim attacks Wake while hallucinating. He kind of starts flashing around between pictures of the real Ephraim, the guy he allowed to die, the mermaid again, and then an image of Wake representing Proteus, which is something we're going to dive into a little more. But when we first watched this and I didn't know about this, I was like, is that Neptune? Is yeah, it's, a, it, it's an absolutely valid thing to think. Yeah, so at this point, Howard has beaten the crap out of... Out of um, I keep saying Howard, Ephraim. Ephraim slash Ephraim Howard. Slash this is where Howard. it gets confusing. Okay. Ephraim and Howard are the same guy. Yeah, so if I say, actually say one or the other, forgive me, folks. So anyway, Ephraim has beaten the crap out of Thomas. Um, Pun totally intended. Totally intended. Um, so yeah, but at this point, he he sits there and tells him like he's going to be like a dog. He drags him to a hole he's made by the lighthouse. He's got like a rope around his neck, and he's making him bark like a dog because of the part throughout this movie... A lot of times, uh, Thomas would call Ephraim a dog, and he just fucking hated it. Which... Yeah, like when he was trying, when he was like really getting on his case, insulting him, he always called him a dog, and so. it just Ephraim hates being called a dog. He just hates it. Yeah, so this is tables have turned at this point. So yeah. turn the chamber pot on, wake to get the upper. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah, so he's like dragging him out to this pit, and then he just basically starts burying him. Yeah, and I thought of the. 
the band Catatonia, the song "We Must Bury You" just comes to mind right away. And, and some of the some of the lyrics of that just creepily fit really well with what's going on. And so you have this like nice deep like meaning, and I sat there and all I could think of was Step Brothers. He's like, "What are you doing? I'm burying you." And then he's like, "Oh, you be buried." Like, and I just like was like, "Shut up! You're wake the gulls." <laughs> And and for me, like, seriously, this scene is unsettling as hell. I think this scene is the one that disturbed me the most. And it, it, you just see Wake's face, and he's just going on and on. While spitting out dirt. While spitting dirt in his mouth. It's, it's getting in his mouth, and it's getting all over me. He's just spitting it out, and the dirt keeps piling on more and more and more. And... While, while during this burial scene, Wake gives some Ephraim, Ephraim slash Howard, Thomas Howard some, some nice well wishes. And this is a really, really great line of dialogue. So, and it's going back to Protea, Protea, Promethean and stuff like that. So, Which we'll dive into later. But yep. So, do, oh, what Protean, beautiful, oh, what Protean forms swim up from men's minds and melt in hot Promethean plunder, scorching eyes with divine shames and horror, and casting them down to Davy Jones. The others still blind, yet in, in its sea all the divine graces into Fiddler's green scent, where no man is suffered to want or toil, but is ancient, mutable and unchanging as the she who girdles round the globe them's truth so at this point now that he's done his little crazy speech Ephraim's got get, jumps down in there he gets the keys to the lighthouse at this point he's going to the light, the light back in the building he thinks he's getting to the lighthouse but apparently wake was not dead decided that he was just gonna rise from the grave um, so he ends up hitting Ephraim with an axe, screaming, the light belongs to me. It's about the, the possession thing. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a very overarching theme of this. It's like, he has to have the upper hand. He has to be the, the alpha in control. The light is his and no one else's. But Ephraim actually overpowers Wake at this point because, you know, he's an older man. So I guess at this point he finally couldn't dominate him anymore and he straight up kills him with an axe splash of blood um you see him bludgeoning him his like what we assume is like his face he kind of just just drops it like it's like drops it like a hammer yeah and it just you just see a splash up yeah and and a lot of these scenes especially like chamber pots in this i'm really glad this was in monochrome and black and white yeah color but yeah so then at this point Ephraim finally ascends to the top of the lighthouse and he comes face to the face of the light at last he unfurls a blood-curdling scream. Um, Bunch of distortion, too. Yeah, but the thing is, you, you, it, you can tell he's doing this blood-curdling scream, but you I can't actually hear it. Remember, it has like this really like creepy, loud music over it that just kind of, yeah, like, I think it's supposed to it's like, like be symbolic fuzzy, of yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a fuzzy distortion where you hear him screaming, and then he takes himself a tumble down those long spiral staircase down the lighthouse. And then... We're getting to the finale here where we arrive at the beach. We don't know how much time has passed, but we show Ephraim's bloody, beaten body just being picked apart by by gulls and seabirds. And, of course, getting the, the more of the symbolic mythology into this, 
this mirrors the fate of Prometheus. And the story of Prometheus is very interesting. Who, how he, It turned out with him, in the end, he was bound to a rock by Zeus, who is just the asshole of all assholes. Yeah, Zeus is always terrible. Like, I remember it's all happy-go-lucky in Hercules. Yeah, I know. Like When I watched Hercules as a kid, I was like, oh, Zeus is fun. And then, and then as an adult, I learned the tales of Zeus. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. That is it, not it's Zeus. not jolly rip-torn like in Hercules. Yeah. It definitely yeah, is not. So what happens here is, in, in, with, with Prometheus, an eagle, which is the symbol of Zeus, eats his liver. And said liver would grow back overnight and this fate would go on repeat like the worst kind of Groundhog Day scenario. Or Happy Death Day. Such a great flick. I love it. We should review that at some point. But yeah, so at this point, um, you know, the ending scene was actually also inspired by a drawing that had never, I guess it was like completely, never, they never titled it, but it was a Belgian artist named, um, is it, because it's Belgian, would it be Jean? Jean? Um, Jean Deville. Jean Deville. Um, Could be yes. wrong, but Yes, yeah, for wrong. Yes, please. The director hate mail directly at me. Um, but so yeah, so that was from eighteen eighty eight. Um, but if you look at it, it's a very interesting comparison. So what I gained from this whole movie was the moral of the story was don't fuck with gulls. No, that, don't, definitely that, not because that's where everything really went to shit. Yeah. Well, it already went to shit like immediately when the, the farting. But yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was the movie so i guess we kind of go into some of the other like kind of like backstory fun facts yeah and some of some of the more deeper mythology so again like 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 we mentioned it's is based loosely very loosely on a true story very very loosely so there was there was a really cool interview um article from den of geek that we mentioned before really cool stuff we'll have a link in the show notes where uh, Robert Eggers states, basically there's a well-known story about two lighthouse keepers in Wales who at the beginning of the 19th century got stuck on their lighthouse station during a storm. One was older, one was younger. They were both named Thomas. The younger one had a real sordid past. The older one dies and the younger one goes insane. And that's where the similarities end. I mean, that's so bare bones. So, and now just to kind of tell folks what actually happened in that scenario. So what it does is, or what happened was these two guys, the younger guy, um, somehow the older guy died in an accident or something. And he was worried that if he just threw his body into the sea, or gave, you know, like an ocean burial, people would think he murdered him. So what he did is he did his best to try to construct a coffin and like keep him like, you know, there. So at least when day people came he could be like see he died of natural causes well, at least or, it wasn't a working at bernie scenario yeah but so he um somehow i guess there was a storm it broke apart part of the coffin and his hand would come out and it was near his window so the every time the storm happened it kind of looked like he was waving to him Ooh. and this is what kind of sent him down into like, like insanity yeah. yeah but so this is also why after that scenario because he was everyone said he was never right again obviously so they actually, that was why they started imparting the rule of having three keepers rather than two. That makes sense. On that same note, this is, again, I've read some things they tried to say. This was very, very loosely tied into the Flannan Isles lighthouse mystery, which if you get a chance, look that up. It's a super crazy story. Basically, the Sparknotes version of that is that there were three men, like they're supposed to be, you know, in the lighthouse. And when they went to do the change out, they were all gone, just completely gone, vanished. As the best theory that I think 
could have happened because they never found a trace of them and it, like they had like their boots and stuff in some places were kept like it's like almost like they just like vanished so aside from the idea that it could have been aliens because um, I'm not saying it was aliens but it was aliens they think that there maybe that the one had trouble something happened to him and then a rogue wave came out the other two while they were trying to help the guy got swept away by this rogue wave which the rogue waves are for anyone don't know are just like these random waves that out of nowhere they're not like caused by like you know like the tsunamis where they're caused by earthquakes and stuff no it's just this random wave that for whatever reason just hit things right and it is like 50 feet tall and they think that's what may have happened to them Again, I don't know how that loosely references it, other than when they'd probably come back, there'd be no one there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like we mentioned earlier about the whole uh, Proteus-Prometheus mythology that has really connected. So Thomas Wake really mirrors Proteus, who's, who's known as the old man of the sea, which is a quote from Homer. Um, he's Poseidon's son, Triton's brother. He lived on the Isle of Pharos, which housed the famous lighthouse of Alexandria. And, and Wake sometimes seems like he kind of sees himself as a god of sorts, like the ruler of the domain that is the light in this lighthouse. Like, he sees himself above everything. And, like, whoever the, the, the wiki is who's with him is just, just beneath him and there to do the grunt work so he ultimately can just live out his perturbed fantasy life. And Ephraim slash Howard, he mirrors Prometheus with his fate being similar. You know, he stole fire from the gods, aka the light, to give to humanity. And though they're very, and though they view themselves differently, they really are very similar. The symbolism of both men wanting to control, wanting to reach their version of the American dream, wakes wanting to rule over the wiki. He wants to feel, you know, like he's in control again old man of the sea yeah and it's like you know the american dream thing like like what each of these guys like you know the american dream was a big famed thing you know 1890s you know accomplishing all this stuff and you know what, what do they want you know ephraim slash howard thomas howard he essentially just wants to live on a patch of land and disappear he just wants to be left alone a quote from him in the movie sometime soon i'll raise my own roof somewhere up country with no one to tell me what for. That's all. It's all he wants. He just he just wants to get the hell away from everything. And you think with Wake, he kind of also wants to be away from everything. You know, maybe he's just used to isolation by doing this for so long. You know, this lighthouse and this light is what he lives for. And... You know, there's also some exploration into like masculinity. You know, Wake's need to domineer over, over Ephraim slash Thomas Howard, and and he has to be the dominant one. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> and there, there's times where you know, like Ephraim just kind of pushes back, and he feels like he needs to be the dominant one, but he kind of relents sometimes, and it's a, it's a really in interesting struggle. And there's this this movie's really deep. In a lot of ways. I think it's funny because when we first watched it, I wasn't a huge fan. I feel like in the more research I did about it, the more I liked it. But I felt like just like on a first watch through, I was like, the fuck did I just watch? Which I know that's kind of the goal of it. But yeah, so I think um, only other thing I think that was kind of fun was that apparently Willem Dafoe um, is obviously he's American, but he's supposed to be kind of like this old British man. 
and Robert Pattinson is obviously British, but he's supposed to be playing this young <laughs> American man. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. You want to get into our review? Yeah, I think that that'd be good. So I'll go first if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. So I think that, again, my first initial thoughts when I first like saw this, I wrote down that you know, I liked the way it was shot. It obviously helped set the mood. It made you feel, like, the fact that it was in a smaller screen format made it feel claustrophobic. You know, like, the lighthouse itself is claustrophobic. Made this, you know, obviously lonely rock that they're on just feel even more grim. There's parts of it that remind me of The Shining, again, and the isolation horror. Although I'm still disappointed that the book didn't say all work, no play makes Tommy a dull boy, because <laughs> that would just make me so fucking happy. With the chef's kiss. Yes. Mwah. Yeah, I liked how we kind of were left with more questions than answers. Obviously, acting was top-notch. The dialogue felt very much of, like, the late 1800s as intended. And I felt like watching, though, like, when the first watched it, I was like, maybe a little too lowbrow, and this was a little too deep and artsy for me. But I think, like, on a second watch-through, I would like it a lot more. Mm. Yeah, this movie is a real grower for me. It's, you know, after the first watch, you kind of wonder what the hell you watch. But it sparks a lot of conversation. We've talked a lot about this movie since watching it. So it, it it makes you kind of like start contemplating what's real, what's not. It's a real psychological maze that has tons of underlying themes going on at once. You know, we've talked about a lot of those. A lot of reskinned mythology, cultural references, a lot of cool stuff. And after watching it, I said to myself, this is going to be a lot to unpack. Like, there was a lot to think about after watching this movie. And I'm sure there, there's plenty of references that we've probably both yet to notice. Maybe some mythological connections that we haven't completely picked up on either of us. I'm sure there's more of it there. There's, there's a lot of layers to this. And that, I think, is the not-so-subtle genius of this film. Is way more depth to it than you realize on the surface. Kind of like the sea, fitting metaphor. <laughs> At times, though, it's, to be a little critical, it's a bit overt with some elements that ultimately feel a little out of place. The gross-out humor. We made a lot of jokes about about that. You know, the, the farting, the, the pooping constantly. Uh, the chamber pots I got, it was like, it's meant to degrade him. And but, it's of the time and stuff, so I exactly. get that, but it was just... Sometimes just too many farts. Too, too, it's like, I know it's dark humor. And I love Ren and Stimpy dearly. <laughs> but, word choice, but, it didn't work that great here. And that's a, maybe a minor nitpick, but, but that, that kind of took me out of what they're, like, the depth of it sometimes. And sometimes it seems to jump around a little much, so it can be pretty difficult to keep up with on the first viewing. It's a challenging movie, but but sometimes I feel like it jumps around a lot. However, you know, give this one some time. This is one of those movies that it's not going to have the the full impact on first on the first go. Watch it once, let it simmer, let it set in a bit, try it again later. It's very artistic, a bit rough around the edges, but ultimately this is a powerful viewpoint of isolation control of one's destiny primal desire being tormented and overwhelmed by all of those things it's unsettling as hell shot wonderfully i'd say willem dafoe and robert pattinson this is 
one of the most powerful performances they've both had to date. They really had chemistry. They worked together really well. And, you know, just be prepared to be challenged and, and definitely grossed out. And fuck chamber pot. <laughs> no, no way. No, no. Yeah. I'm glad that we've reached a point in time that we have toilets. Universal indoor plumbing. Yes, indoor plumbing. Oh, big... See, I thought we were going with a Hercules reference. It's like, <laughs> indoor plumbing. It's going to be big. <laughs> <laughs> big Buick in every garage would be nice. <laughs> Some TVs. MTV, what is the name of that other one? VH1. Yes, VH1! If, you, if Most people probably don't know what in the living hell I'm talking about. Watch the movie Canadian Bacon. You'll thank me later. And so I've watched a lot of Seinfeld for the other references. Oh, for sure. So for rating it, for overall, what would you give it? I would say... My initial thought was, you know, maybe a three. That was my initial thought. While watching a lot of it over, researching a lot more, learning a lot more about it, and, and then like learning about it and watching a lot of scenes over again, I, I really started appreciating this a lot more. I, I'd say overall it's not perfect, but it's really great. It's unsettling. If you want something that's going to challenge you and make you feel very unsettled, this is a movie absolutely it should be at the high end of the queue to watch. I'll, I'll say, overall, I'll give it a 4 out of 5. See, I was leaning when I first watched it more of like a 2 out of 5. But actually, like again, the more research, I brought it up to a 3 out of 5. I still think, again, a lot of great elements to it, though. But like for my actual enjoyment of like, even if I watch this multiple times over, I'm like, yeah, this was unsettling. But I feel like it's not something that I would... Even with other watches, I just don't feel like I'd enjoy it to the level that I feel like it should be enjoyed. So that's more probably my thing. But yeah, I'm going to go with three out of five for the for the skulls. Like rewatchability, it's I don't think it's incredibly high. Like I think after you've researched it, maybe one or two more to kind of yeah, it, it, it kind of it sinks in a lot, and and you really appreciate what it's trying to do. But it's also not something you're going to watch like a hundred times in your lifetime. Yeah. But it's not meant to be that kind of film either, I think. So. Scare level. Um, I, I, I'd say this isn't, as we said, it's not as a scary film as it is an unsettling film. I think the scary, the, the, the fright of it is the fear of isolation. So if you're claustrophobic, this is probably yeah. <laughs> it's the, if you're extra claustrophobic, scary. this is going to mess with you. The fear of isolation, the fear of being stuck in an untenable situation that you can't get out of. You're, you know, it's you and with it's one other person. So one other person is obviously going nuts, but you're going nuts too. You, you, the, the lines between reality and fantasy are blurring. If you're someone like me who likes to be in control of a situation, you there's no control whatsoever. And so it's, like I said, it's more unsettling than scary. I'll, I'll probably go for a three out of five on that level for that one i'm gonna go with a two i think so like because again unsettling but i'm not claustrophobic and that kind of stuff doesn't bother me so again obviously the being buried alive and like all that kind of stuff i see why it could be scary to others but for me i'm gonna go two out of five for music and sound i'm gonna give it a five out of five i think it had top notch the design of it all was great 100 percent. agreed I will give a total five out of five for that too. The 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 music and the sound 
played such an important role of making this movie what it was. It made it unsettling. It made it impactful when it wanted to be impactful. You know, it got manic at times. You know, when they're singing that, that shanty song, Doodle Let Me Go, that was a, a really important moment in the movie. And it, it really just brought you into the period. It, the sound design music, perfection. It yeah. was great. Couldn't have been better. What are you going to do for effects? Effects. So, this isn't a special effects-laden movie. And no. I don't think... I mean, the practical effects are there. there They're definitely no, there. There's no... There's, that's all it was, was practical yeah. effects. There's no... And I think the effects are well done. I think, you know, like, when... When Ephraim just kills the, the gall. Yeah. That was so unsettling. Like, there are... And it looks very realistic. Yes. And there are, like, if you're, if you don't want to see that, like something like that, turn, avert your eyes at that moment. I think things like that stick with you. I can see in my mind's eye. I can replay that scene in my head. Yeah, it is disturbing as hell, and the the effects were really well done. I mean, like the fact that they built that lighthouse just for this, and like. You know, different things the way it was shot, you know, like when they're... Yeah, like, the inside stuff that was done on a soundstage, yeah. to clarify. But, like, when they're going, like, it's like, like the camera work, production, immaculate. Like, when they're like they're going up and down the spiral, ca- like, staircase of this lighthouse. And then when they actually, when he actually gets into the lantern room and he, like, opens the light and stuff. The, the effects were great. I... I I'd say they they fit perfectly with what they were trying to accomplish. I'll give a five on that. I'm going to give a five as well, also because, I forgot to mention this earlier, um, a couple of those gulls were actually trained gulls they had. So like they That's actually, impressive. Yeah, they actually, I forget their names, I have to look it up again, but it was really funny names they had for them. But yeah, they had trained Please gulls. Please tell me they weren't named Tom. No, they weren't named Tom. Let me, <laughs> let me uh, for the hell of it, I'll look it up right now. Yeah, it says, how a trainer got birds to terrorize Robert Pattinson. That's funny. And what um what article was this that you found? I'm just this is on IndieWire. I pulled it up. They say the seagull the the trainer I guess said seagulls are not very brave. That they are very fragile. Their wings are very thin, and they always worry about everything. If something worries them even slightly, they regurgitate all their food out. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you you always have to be very careful with them. The three birds yeah here it is the three birds used um throughout this movie were called Johnny, Lady, and Tramp. Wow. Yes. When you said three birds, I mean, like I said, low Mer- Mo, Larry, and Curly. Please wow. be Mo, Larry. That would have been good. But yeah, no, so um, it says, uh, and they said, according to them, they, they will not come and cuddle. So yeah. The, after being, after after being in this movie and like the, the whole idea of wanting to get them splattered, like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah so I like, If you want to learn about how that, that bird that kept like bother that kept going after, um, Robert Pattinson's character, you know, like Ephraim slash Thomas Winslow, or no, Ephraim Thomas Winslow Williams. slash Thomas, Thomas Pattinson. Thomas Howard. Oh my gosh. It's like after midnight, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, so that, but yeah, that was good. I'll give it a five. If it weren't for the trained gulls, I probably would have gone a four, but I yeah. just, I love the idea of these, these gulls cool. being trained That's just really to cool. mess with him. And so last part, gore factor. So like, do we want to rate this on gore factor or do we want to rate this on like excrement factor? like poop emojis or something because there's a lot of poop yeah so i feel like we should still call leave it gore but at the same time let's 
let's factor in that this isn't gory. So, like, if someone is true concern is, like, they can't stand blood, guts, all that, then this is easily a one. Because yeah. this is not at all, again, being in black and white, you know, but there's a lot of grossness that almost made me puke the turpentine, the poop, all mm-hmm. that. Just There's just, moments, like when he, when Wake gets his head splattered with the axe, you see like a bloodshot shoot up. Yeah, like but again, the blood it's, in, the it's in black and, and white. It's so. black and white, yeah, it, it, it still has an impact. Yeah, but so I'm going to, I'm going to go, like, if we go for the fact that, like, again, not so much gore, but, um, but like grossness, I guess you could also factor into that. I'm going to go three because, again, while I think most people could, like, handle this, I don't know why I just kept almost, like, feeling like I was going to puke half the time watching it. So oh, I yeah. feel like that should well, be it's like it's noted. The, it's the setting. It's the chamber pots. It's the just the poop and the, and the, like, the jism and stuff. Oof. And, like, like, there's, like, a lot of funky bodily fluid related stuff in this. Again, like I said, there's there I have never seen a horror movie that had so many body fluids that were not blood. Exactly. Not gory, but it's also not for the squeamish either, for sure. I I would probably agree with uh probably between like a 2 and a 3. I I'd say probably a 3 just cuz of the gross out factor yeah. and it will kind of like don't don't eat dinner while watching this yeah this is not a popcorn movie no definitely not but it's it's a it's a very psychological movie it's meant to mess with your head and stick with your head and it does it it pulls that off for sure but yeah i think that's all of it so that covers the lighthouse i i definitely recommend checking it out if you want something challenging so yeah so or if you just feel like you need you need to puke something up that's also an option and, and if you haven't seen the witch which is uh, from the same writer director it's very good fuck yeah. very good and very much the same game vein unsettling mm-hmm. we unsettling, might, psychological. We'll definitely check too. it out that's a yeah. great movie all right but with that time to sign off this has been we all pod down here my name's dan and my name is Brittany. have a good night folks or day whenever you're listening thank you for listening Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Share with your friends and family. And check out our website at www.weallpoddownhere.com Or send us an email at weallpoddownhere at gmail.com You can also follow our shenanigans at weallpod on Twitter. And at weallpoddownhere on Instagram. And feel free to suggest a movie you want us to review or just something you want to make me uncomfortable with. Until next time, this has been We All Pod Down Here. Be afraid. Very afraid.